Welcome to Near and Far, the World Catholicism Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Buddy, Senior Research Scholar in the Center for World Catholicism and Intercultural Theology in Chicago. Imagine an internationally renowned theologian and scholar walking across uneven land in the African bush, overgrown, damaged by prior misuse, far from the urban centers and activity of modern Africa. The city, the place of economic vitality, the home of political power brokers, the crossroads of movers and shakers from around the world. Imagine further that this scholar is also a Catholic priest. His heart is with those left behind and made worse off by the workings of state and market in Africa. And his life's work has been about closing the gap between the imperatives of the gospel and the practices that bring life to people. The person straddling these divides is Emmanuel Katangali, a Catholic priest of the Archdiocese of Kampala in Uganda. He is professor of theology at the University of Notre Dame, where his role also includes being a professor of peace studies in the Kroc Institute for International Peace Studies and a faculty fellow in the Kellogg Institute for International Studies. He is the author of several path-breaking books in Christian social ethics, including The Sacrifice of Africa and, more recently, Born of Lament on the Theology and Politics of Hope in Africa. He is also a founding director of the Center for Reconciliation at Duke University and is in demand as a speaker and preacher around the world. He is also one of the founders of the Bethany Land Institute, an innovative program seeking to address poverty, hunger, and environmental degradation. The Institute seeks to be an experiment in local food security, environmental improvement, and educational and skills development. I spoke with Father Katangali about the Bethany Land Institute, its vision for the church, and the challenges of daring to put new ideas and approaches into practice. Welcome to Near and Far, Father Emmanuel, and thank you for spending time with us today. Well, thank you very much, Mike. What a joy and pleasure for me uh, to be with you and speak with you this afternoon. Why don't you start at the beginning? What was the inspiration for the Bethany Land Institute, and how did it come into being? Well, you know, Mike, uh, when I was uh, at Duke uh, founding the Center for Reconciliation, the vision that we were working with is the vision of God reconciling all things. And that all things includes not only human beings, human society, but also the earth, the animals, uh, the plants, uh, creation, all things, reconciling all things. And in fact, as part of that series, we started a book series part of that initiative, uh, where uh, we invited one of our professors uh, to work on a book on reconciling God with the land, reconciliation with the land. As it was Norman Wusper, uh, working with an activist who was doing some agricultural experiment in a community. I found uh, their vision of God reconciling with the land and our invitation to live reconciled to creation quite pers- uh, very, very, very persuasive, especially as it was grounded in the vision of Genesis chapter 2. So I was already thinking about uh, this, what it means to live in reconciliation and reconciling all things and being reconciled with the land on one hand. And then on the other hand, that every year I go to Uganda once or two times and I go to visit my mother at home. And every year I realize that the forest that was uh, near my home when I was growing up has all been cut down. And as a result, that is, uh, the land has become more arid. Uh, there's almost uh, hardly anything to eat in the village. And um, the stream has dried up. 
and, and so you could see the uh, need for water, the need for food, and the way uh, the land looked was very, very miserable. So in 2012, 2012, when I was celebrating my 25th anniversary as a priest, I decided to uh, do something. Instead of getting angry every time I got back home, I decided where I could rechannel these efforts into the planting of a forest. So I talked to a friend of mine, Father Cornelius, whether he knew of a place that had 10 acres of land for sale because I wanted to plant a forest. And Father Cornelius said yes, he knew, he knew such a place and asked me why I wanted to plant a forest. So I told him. And then he said, well, you know, the people cutting down the forests, I mean, of these young people that have flocked into the city because the whole education system promises that there is nothing good comes out, that comes out of a village and the only way to be developed is go to school, get into a school system, graduate, get a job in Kampala, put on a nice suit and drive a car. But many people, of course, never make that dream. And so uh, they stay around the city suburbs in the slums and the only relationship they have with the land, with the villages, which now they hate because they have been told that that is a place of backwardness, is to go back and cut down the trees, make charcoal, sell those for a bit of living. So Cornelius was saying that the whole education system needs to uh, to change. And then our other friend, uh, Tony, came along and said, well, you guys are talking about planting a forest and education. Unless you bring in an economic dimension, all these young people that you see, they're trying to survive. They are trying to make a living. Uh, so there is poverty. Unless you also address that say, challenge, uh, you may plant as many trees as you want. They're going to be cut down. So the three of us, Cornelius, Tony and myself, began to dream of an initiative. We acquired 85 acres of land, an initiative that would bring together my concern for ecology, Cornelius's concern for education, and Tony's concern for economics, the three E's. Mm. So that is how it started really uh, thinking about uh, bringing uh, all these uh, challenges into one uh, initiative. It's it's fascinating. It's not usually the case that what on the outside looks like an economic or an agricultural product is explicitly theological in nature, and yours certainly is. Um, could you speak a little more about how Bethany reflects or contributes to sort of a Christian understanding of the created order and humanity and how the church fits in with that? Uh, yes. In making peace with the land, uh, Norman Whisper, uh makes the point that uh, God's relationship with the land is one of love, and we are created out of the soil. So in the chapter on uh, that uh, story of Genesis, chapter 2, it makes it uh, obvious that God loves the land, we human beings are created out of the land, out of the earth, and that we have given a vocation, a mission, to till and take care of the land. That is the second chapter of Genesis. Um, so I found that very compelling in terms of a vision of what we are supposed to be, uh, made out of the soil, the land, but also uh, given the vocation to till the land. Uh, so that was the first to develop my theological sensibility uh, of that our connection with the land is not just a mere developmental agricultural project, it's a sense of 
connectedness and stewardship and the sense of belonging. So, and this was uh, really even made more obvious in 2015 when I, I read uh, Laudato Si, Pope Francis's encyclical on Cuba Common Home. Because Francis there makes uh, the point at the very beginning of uh, this document, uh, Laudato Si, that creation is groaning. And it's groaning because of a wound. He calls it a wound. And also he calls it a sin. And when you read, you see that the sin is our disconnect with the earth, our lack of belonging. We have forgotten, he says, what it means to belong to the earth, uh, to be part of its soil, uh, to breathe its, its air. And the result of that has been a very exploitative relationship with the land that usually kind of uses Genesis chapter 1, uh, be masters and subdue the earth. And so he, Francis gets into the reading of that text and says, that's a wrong reading of what our vocation is. And again, he appeals back to Genesis chapter 2, um, till the earth and take care of him, uh, of it. So you, you, could, you could see immediately that theological connection again being drawn. And that sense of belonging that Pope Francis is talking about, is a sense of that belonging, us belonging to the earth, but even beyond that, our sense of belonging to God and belonging to the human community, to one another. Once we lose that connection, then Pope Francis is arguing, we get into these ecological, uh, in, a, in a way, challenges as just one dimension of that loss of belonging. And the other uh, dimension of that is the increasing poverty that we don't care about the poor because we have lost that kind of connection. So I, I, I think that's, that's where you see this kind of connection going on, that really at the depth of these ecological challenges or challenges of poverty, there is a wound, there is a sin, uh, the loss of our sense of belonging, belonging to God, belonging to one another, and belonging to the earth, the earth community. And unless that is addressed, you can you can do all these uh, agricultural, uh, economic enterprises and so forth, but that wound remains uh, unhealed. So that's what we're trying to get to, and that's the theological uh, dimension that we, is at the heart of Better Land Institute. Well, my understanding is that there are three features of the Land Institute that attempt to address these wounds in different different ways. Uh, could you speak about each each of those and how they fit fit together? Oh, you're talking about uh, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, yes. Indeed. Yeah, you know, in 20, 2011, I wrote a small book, Stories from Bethany, that was based on a research that I did in the Holy Land, um, which I visited because I wanted to visit this place called Bethany. I have been fascinated, I have been fascinated by the stories of Bethany, and I wanted to find out more about this place and the significance of that place in the life of Jesus. And I discovered a number of things. Uh, one, uh, the name itself, Bethane, coming from two Greek words, meaning house of the poor. And secondly, that it was actually a poor village next to uh, Jerusalem. And thirdly, that this is where mostly the lepers, the unclean, the poor people lived. Um, and very, very significantly, that this is where Jesus always lived and stayed when he came uh, by or near Jerusalem. He never stayed within Jerusalem, instead of he always stayed at Bethany. This means he was always at home with the poor. I saw a number of connections between Bethany of the biblical time and Africa. So that's why I wrote that book, Stories for Bethany, to reflect on the church in Africa and mission, if the church understands itself 
located within the Bethanies of this world, means, for example, the poor communities and villages uh, in Africa. So, from that point of view, I saw that Bethany was not just a name. Uh, Bethany was a metaphor, an image, that really captures a sense of what it means to be at home with the poor. The word made flesh, Jesus being at home with the poor. And so I began to see that um, what it means uh, for Jesus, for God to be among the poor, is to form these kind of characters like Mary, like Martha, like Lazarus. And so I began to see these as images or metaphors of what a life of incarnational connection and presence with the poor shaped by Christian sensibility might look like. So we use these uh, stories uh, to kind of shape the programs of the Bethany Land Institute. The farm, the, first of all, there are three key programs at Bethany Land Institute. There is the, the farm that in a way uh, teaches the caretakers the skills of uh, sustainable land, land, land care and food production. That farm is called Mary's Farm. Why Mary? Because it is Mary who sat down and listened. Mary, as a model disciple, sits down and listened. The farm really is not just about teaching the techniques of farming, but it's cultivating the habits of learning to listen, to listen to God, to listen to the land, and to listen to one another. So we hope that this example of Mary will also produce the same, in a way, abundance that again we read about Mary in the gospel. Mary is the same one who anointed Jesus with an alabaster jar of oil and the whole house was filled with the uh, fragrance, with aroma. Our hope is that this kind of attentiveness to the land will yield an abundance. What we want to create is an abundance in terms of food crops, of the flourishing of the land. Uh, that's kind of almost is scandalous when you think about in terms of uh, what people are used to uh, in Africa. So that's what we're trying to evoke by this image of Mary. The forest is called Lazarus. So we're going to do uh, on the 85 acres of land, that is a forest, but we are using that as a hub for a major reforestation effort in the communities around Luero, with the hope that by 2050, we would have planted at least a million trees. We call the forest and the reforestation effort Lazarus Forest or Lazarus Trees because Lazarus in the stories, Bethany in the gospel, is the one who is the brother of Martha and Mary who was sick. He died but was brought back to life. The ecology in Africa is sick, is dying. What we would like to see is a resurrection, a resurrection of that ecology in Africa. Not only of um, the social ecology, but also uh, the environmental ecology as well. Uh, so we want to see that kind of resurrection. And our efforts at reforestation are just one aspect, dimension of that uh, resurrection. And then the third program at Bethany Land Institute is a microfinance organization that teaches young people economic skills, saving, bookkeeping, uh, management of finances, um, and that also becomes a kind of uh, saving uh, cooperative for them. Why Mary? Mary is the one who welcomed Jesus in her house. 
imagine a woman at Jesus' time having her own house, unheard of. Uh, but that's a miracle of, of, of what happens when God dwells among us. Um, Martha is a very productive woman. She had her own farm and so forth. So she's always busy. In the gospel, she's presented as always busy. That's the kind of lifestyle I want to create of entrepreneurship, of accountability, of stewardship, and, and of leadership through that program for uh, Martha's market. So that kind of the theological, in a way, uh, vision, but also we are using these stories as a hook, in a way. Uh, because they are interesting stories, I think our caretakers can easily remember them and see them as good models. So you see local production of food, you see reforestation, and then you see making the the produce of the land available to the local community. Um, how does this, I mean, there have been so many other examples of so-called economic development across Africa. Um, some of those make things worse rather than better. Yours seems to have a different vision or understanding of, of, of what the goal seems to be and what steps in the right direction would be called for. It seems, it seems like there's an entirely different disposition at, at work here. Well, as I said at the beginning, we found that there is some versions of visions of modernity in a way that are responsible for creating the situation that we find ourselves in. For example, the vision that there is nothing interesting out of the village. The village is the epitome of backwardness and primitivity that has to be left behind in order to kind of get into uh, the modern forms of economics and, uh, and civilization. That has somehow created uh, this sense of the village as a very abandoned place that, and poverty has been just one dimension of that. Uh, the deforestation is another aspect. The rural, rural neglect is just another aspect of that. So, and these visions, in a way, have been riding on, on a vision of uh, capitalistic uh, economic theory where development, progress is part of that. So we're trying to get away from these visions of progress or for, of development. What we're trying to do is to kind of live into a vision of the gospel, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And right where people are, in the communities where people are. So in a way also we are trying to uh, make an argument that no, the village is not a desperate place. It's not a place of primitive backwardness. The village is a land of flourishing. Again, using the image of, of Bethany. The village is a land of deep connection. And all these traditional ways of living, of taking care of the land, actually had something significant going. So we want, in a way, to, uh, to think theologically about what it means to have life to the full, but also to think in a local way. Uh, so I, we don't want to use the kind of the, sense, the notion of development or progress because I think they have brought us to where we are. And where we are is not a good place, especially for the majority of these young people that feel that they are discarded, uh, they are failures, they are being pushed aside because they can't contribute to the development of a country. So that's what we're trying to, you know, we can't, the, 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 you're right, there is a, kind, a counter movement 
uh, that is involved in this initiative. Well, let's talk a bit about the people who engage with the Institute. You deliberately don't call them students, but instead use the term caretakers. What do the caretakers do, and how do you see them carrying the mission of Bethany forward? Well, uh, Michael, first of all, we call them caretakers because, again, that term caretakers is a code name for the vision and mission of Genesis chapter 2. Till the land and keep it. Care and stewardship of the land. That is our vocation. That is our human vocation. That's what God tells us to do, to till the land and keep it and care after it. And within that promise, there is also a promise of God that I will give you everything that you need. Because if you read the story of Genesis chapter 2, then you see that the land was flourishing and all kinds of fruit trees that are medicinal and all kinds of food. So there is a kind of plentifulness that is embedded within that caretaking, within taking care of the land. So that is why, why we call them caretakers. Uh, how do they carry forward uh, the vision? Here is our goal. Uh, every year, we take in a group of caretakers. They go through uh, a year, two years. We still have to determine that concrete of formation and taking care of the land and kind of imbibing the vision of the Land Institute. And at the end of that time, at their graduation, if you like, we send them forth. The goal is that each one of them goes and sets up a model, a model farm, a model farm in their communities where they mentor two, three other young people every year. The model farm in the community becomes a point of contact, but also uh, a kind of um, uh, oasis, but also engine, if you like, for uh, the economic uh, development of the area. At the same time, the kind of spreading of the vision of uh, till the land and take care of it in a way that is sustainable. So they spread out, they carry the vision, they mentor young, younger people, they, they provide an alternative example in local communities that might pique the interest and inspire people to inquire further themselves. That, 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 that's correct. And uh, uh, well, the other thing that I need to add in terms of doing that, uh, and this is a notion that Pope Francis develops, the whole notion of integral development or bring together different aspects that have not been at times brought together by these different economic uh, development models. What Pope Francis means by this integral development is models of sustainable uh, um, economics that, one, fight poverty, two, take care of creation, and three, restore human dignity. We are very, very much interested in that, especially that third aspect of restoring human dignity, a sense of human dignity, a sense of uh, well-being, but also a sense of people regaining that dignity, especially for these young people who feel uh, completely deflated and kind of left behind or with almost nothing to do. You've been active in this, and this vision has seized you before Pope Francis's Laudato Si' encyclical came out. Um, since since that statement has been issued, are you seeing other examples or other initiatives across Africa or elsewhere that have captured some of that spirit that you've described? Uh, yes, and some of the examples that we are uh, using or we are modeling after, after 
uh, I see dimensions of that uh, um, call for integral development. One such uh, example is this farm by this woman, Josephine Kiza, in Uganda, who owns three and a half acres, uh, started by her late husband and herself. They have turned these three and a half acres in some of the most, in a way, productive uh, uh, pieces of land. But just kind of visiting uh, the, uh, their farm, St. Jude's farm, you can see the integrated nature of what they are doing. And her philosophy is simple. Uh, everything is connected to everything else. And so she uses a kind of uh, theological vision, saying God has told us to feed the land so that the land can feed you. And out of that, you can see not only the flourishing of this farm, but also uh, the rich economic uh, life that comes out of that, that is able to provide for her and her family, but as she's out of that, she's able also to connect with the local communities where she teaches um, local women uh, these sustainable means of uh, land care. So we, we, we see that as an example, and this started long before uh, uh, Laudato Si. So, but I think um, when you read Laudato Si, it's oh, something like this that Pope Francis is calling for. We see that in another initiative in Benin, uh, headed, spearheaded by this Dominican priest, Father Godfrey Nzamujo, called the, at the Songhai Center, who is uh, training uh, young people really to take care of the land in this, again, sustainable way. Again, based on the same uh, theology, everything is connected. Nothing goes to waste. And so his goal is say, well, Africa is not a hopeless place, and that's why he uses the name Songhai, to evoke the old kingdom of Songhai, that we are very exemplary in the 14th and 15th century, uh, that be these big cities like Timbakutu and say, there is something within uh, the local African spirit and history that evokes that sense of flourishing. So let's not resign ourselves to the sense that Africa is a backward, hopeless con continent. No, right here within our midst, we can, in a way, generate um, uh, that sense of flourishing. We can unleash the internal capacities of individuals, of young people, that help them not only to take care of the land, the creation, but also in doing so, a kind of engage in very productive economic activities that lead to their flourishing and sense of dignity. I'm seeing more and more of such a, uh, initiative experiment. They may not directly invoke uh, Laudato Si, but I think it is this kind of experiment of integral ecology that Pope Francis has in mind by calling for initiatives that fight poverty, uh, restore creation, care for creation, and also advance human dignity on the ground. As you look forward, what are some of the ch largest challenges that you see in, in implementing the vision of the Institute? Um, what kind of problems have you encountered that have been more difficult than you expected? I mean, it, it, it's in such an ambitious undertaking that I'm sure uh, it couldn't have been easy to get it to this point. Yeah, well, you know, now and again, Michael, I wake myself and say, what did I uh, get myself into? <laughs> I, I know being a professor is a difficult thing and writing books and teaching and things like that. Um, but anyway, there is a certain kind of predictability around that and a certain comfort at a given level. 
you know what is expected in terms of you are teaching of the classes and you are writing a paper and you are delivering a public uh, presentation. Uh, my work uh, with the Bethany Land Institute has brought me to a whole new place where almost everything is new. I have to learn new skills, uh, skills that are very different from thinking uh, ideas and writing uh, papers and teaching classes. It involves um, uh, not only uh, learning to uh, work with the people in the village, in the village communities, uh, young people, uneducated people, uh, involves uh, working with and around the stubborn, uh, inefficient, but highly bureaucratic systems of government. Uh, setting up a bank account, for example. It took me four months to set up. <laughs> four months for a bank account. A bank account, an organization bank account. It's one document after another that is required. Um, uh, setting up these different boards in Uganda, one in Uganda and one here, non-profit here, running uh, boards and board meetings. Uh, this is a completely different set of skills I, I, I have had to uh, to, to, to learn, and I'm, I'm, I'm still learning. So the greatest, uh, I think, challenge, one greatest challenge that I've encountered is a sense of time. My, first of all, my own time, but the sense of time that everything takes in undertaking an initiative like this to get it off the ground. Everything takes longer than one expects. Everything takes, takes much longer than one can be envisaged, especially when you are envisaging it from uh, a place like Notre Dame and so forth. Everything takes take, 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 take much longer. And the, the other thing is that uh, the vision is coherent, I think. The vision is clear. But uh, as Pope Francis reminds us, realities are more important than ideas. Uh, every time I am in Uganda and I'm working, and so, I feel a sense of, oh, everything is broken. Everything, all the efforts that we do are too little, uh, insufficient. So there is a certain kind of sense that, oh my goodness, this... The vision is much bigger, but everything seems so small, so tiny, so unbroken, so insufficient. Uh, so how to overcome that sense of, oh, this can't be done, or it's too small. Uh, I have found myself drawing back and back on the image of uh, Oscar Romero. We are only called to plant seeds. Uh, we are not master builders. With servants, so kind of to do uh, the little that can be done, the small uh, steps uh, al al along the way. We have also had some uh, disputes on the land, but we're in the process of finalizing that. But this is just kind of also to show that it takes time and takes energy, uh, much more time and energy than, <laughs> than I thought at the beginning. Yeah, but it is very exciting. It's very exciting. And the other thing that kind of keeps me going is that it is needed. Uh, every person I talk to and share the vision, I say, well, Emmanuel, this is needed, especially for such a time as this. And also the sense of encouragement that, well, I don't know uh, a, a better person to lead this initiative than yourself, Emmanuel. So I kind of feel encouraged by that sense of this is needful, and this seems to be a step in the right direction. Well, for persons who 
are captivated by the vision of the Institute and who, who understand the way that the parts weave in together and plant those seeds of hope that you mentioned. Uh, those who, who want to support you or, or this particular initiative, what should they do? How do they, how do they get, in, get, in, get in touch? Well, before we get to that, Michael, first of all, I want to say that I have been amazed um, by the number of people who found the, who find this compelling, and they want to be part of that. And part of it that is reflected in some of the initial funding that we have, we have received from different organizations, churches, and individuals. So I, I begin to think about this. It's just not, not just a question of a project. I begin to think more and more about it as a, almost a kind of a movement. There is a kind of a movement. There is a kind of a train. Uh, so I'm I'm inviting uh, people who find this compelling to 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 join us in the in this movement. You can visit our website and see what we're doing. We are in the process of uh, revamping our website. Uh, you can let me know. Uh, send me an email. I'm always very uh, happy to respond to that email. And most importantly, I'd like to invite you to come and see. Um, come visit us. Uh, we can organize a trip and then uh, I can see, and then we can get uh, ways to how to connect. There is uh, a non-profit organization here, Bethan Land Institute USA, uh, that, that helps me with that kind of connection and mobilizing uh, partnerships and the friends around the U.S. So we'd like to see more and more uh, people, uh, organizations, uh, universities, institutions, and others kind of join us on this, on this journey. Well, it sounds like you have much more than a simple project on your hands. You're launching a you're launching a revolution of sorts. So, congratulations to you for that, and thank you for thank you for joining us. And um, we will we will look forward to updates on the on the institute and your many other activities in the future. Well, thank you very much, Michael. This has been a delight talking to you. Thank you so much. Near and Far is produced by the Center for World Catholicism and Intercultural Theology, a research institute focused on Catholicism around the world with special attention to the church in the so-called Global South. The center is sponsored by DePaul University, a Catholic university in the Vincentian tradition in Chicago. Production assistance for Near and Far comes from Greg Barker, Anna Gallen, Francis Salinal, and Karen Kraft. For more information on the center and its activities, Look for the Center for World Catholicism on the web, Facebook, or Twitter.